How many of you know a child uh, who is eagerly anticipating Christmas? Anyone know a child that looks out and says, Christmas is two weeks away and it can't get here fast enough? Uh, anybody had a child? Ask them already if they can open a gift uh, just because it finally found itself under the tree. Um, and while we're picking on children, let's talk about ourselves. How many of us are eagerly anticipating Christmas? Uh, how many of you look up at the calendar? I see hands being raised for someone back there, and uh, you just can't wait. Two weeks away. And I don't really know how you count weeks. I think that Christmas is actually two weeks from yesterday, so maybe we're a little less than uh, two weeks till Christmas. But Christmas is a season of, of eager anticipation. It's kind of hardwired into our traditional celebration of, of Christmas. Uh, just think about gifts, the very nature of a gift, the very nature of a present is that it's something uh, you know that it is there, you know that it has your name on it, you know that it will be yours, but it's not yet. You, you have to wait. Think about the whole experience with the Christmas tree. Uh, it's eager anticipation. Whether you use an artificial tree or you go and you cut your own tree or you sneak into your neighbor's yard and you cut down their tree, however you, however you do, your, there's this eager anticipation where, where you're waiting for that moment to go pick it out, to cut it down or to get the box down out of the attic and to, to assemble the tree and to, to put the lights on. It's a season of eager anticipation. Think about the, the parties, the gatherings, friends and family and coworkers. There's the sense of eager anticipation built in where you can't wait to, to share that special recipe or to, to see what your secret Santa gets you or what that white elephant gift is. It's a season of eager anticipation and, and, and rightfully so because in the true Christmas story, we have anticipation. We have a people who had longed for a Messiah, who saw how broken and desperate their world was and is. And they couldn't wait for God to come and to restore. That's captured in the Christmas carol, uh, O Holy Night. Long lay the world in sin and air, pining, longing, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. The sense of eager anticipation. Just think about the, 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 the story of two young Jewish people pledged to be married to one another. Both receive angelic pronouncements. Uh, the mother is going to give birth to the savior of the world. And then what happens? They wait. Nine months, uh, a journey to see Elizabeth, uh, a journey to Bethlehem. And what happens in Bethlehem? They wait. Where can they stay? Where can they give birth? Where will the child be born? And then the child is born. And then what happens? Is the child the savior of the world on the cross that day? No, we, we wait. And what does it tell us of Mary that she treasured all these things up in her heart? She was eagerly anticipating. She was waiting. But it's not just the Christmas season where we eagerly anticipate, is it? Uh, there's eager anticipation throughout our lives. It's a part of a number of our life's experiences. Uh, for those of you that are athletes or once were an athlete uh, before you inherited your dad bod, uh, you know what it was like to eagerly anticipate that season. 
whether it was football or tennis or cross country or baseball, and, and, and you looked out and you knew that it would be, uh, August was coming, May would be here, but it wasn't yet. And so you anticipated, or, or maybe you're a, uh, you were a strong student or you are a student and you love the classroom. And so you look out and you see the start of a semester or the, the start of a school year and, and you eagerly anticipate. You can't wait. You know that, that it's going to start but it's not yet. Or, or think about our preparations for a wedding. There's this eager anticipation. You know that there's a day on the calendar. It may be a year away. It may be two years away. It may be three years away. I'd encourage you, don't do that. <laughs> like, like, don't plan a wedding that far out. Um, you know it's coming, but it's not yet. Or what about a graduation? You, you look out and you're told you're the class of 2022 or 2023, and you know the day's coming, but it's not yet. It's this eager anticipation. A word that we use to describe that eager anticipation is is waiting. Now, sometimes we use the word waiting and it has a negative connotation or negative meaning, uh, but we also use the term waiting in a positive way where we're anticipating something that will be, but isn't yet. And to maybe even make this more personal, what are you waiting for this morning? What are you eagerly anticipating in your own life? What is it that you look out to and you know that it will be? Is there an adoption that will happen, but yet it's not fully realized yet? Is there a a date coming on the calendar to celebrate a milestone and it will be, but it's not yet? What are you eagerly anticipating? What are you waiting for? Waiting is at the heart not only of our Christmas story, not only is it the heart of so much of our life experience, uh, it's it's within the, within the gospel itself. In our Christmas series, we're looking at the gospel. Gospel most simply defined is who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, is doing, and will do, and how we respond to that. Well, we're looking at this, this Advent season in, in, in Titus, this letter, brief letter written to a man named Titus by Paul, who was living on the island of Crete. Uh, he writes to encourage him about the most important things. At the end of Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, he just powerfully and poignantly proclaims the simple gospel message. And at the heart of the gospel is grace, this unmerited favor of God, this loving kindness of God. And part of the experience of God's grace in this world is that there is some waiting. There's eager anticipation. If you have your Bibles, find Titus 2, uh, 11 through 14. We're going to hang out there for a little bit this morning. I'm just going to recap where we've been. Uh, our series is titled Grace, the Christmas Story, because ultimately when we look to what God was doing in sending Jesus and what happens through Jesus, it's a story of grace, God's loving kindness, his unmerited favor. And so we've been looking at verses 11, 12, 13, and 14, one verse a week. And we began just by looking at the idea of the wonder associated with God's grace, just to step back and to marvel at at the fact that the creator of the universe, the God who made us, who formed us, who fashioned us in his womb, would would love us so much even though humanity erred in rebelling against him and sinning, that he would continue to love them and pursue them. And so part of the gospel story is this idea that the grace of God appeared 
that, that, that God's grace, this loving kindness, this favor of God that had been experienced by many throughout history, it actually appeared in Jesus. This child born to the Virgin Mary who would grow, who would show us how to live and how to treat one another and what mattered most to the heart of God. And not only would he grow and show us how to live, but he would willingly die for us. We were told throughout scripture that the punishment, the, the penalty, the just reward for our sin, our rebellion, our wrongdoing is, is this death and this eternal separation from God. But Jesus said, I will die that death for them. God's loving kindness, God's unmerited favor. The grace of God appeared and it offered salvation to all people. It, it made rescue available to everyone who would believe. Grace is a gift that's given to everyone who will receive and open it and take hold of it. But not only is that grace something that rescues us from sin, but it's a gift that keeps on giving. It's a grace that, that teaches us that helps us not only be rescued from sin, but to live this renewed life for, this purposes, for the purposes of God that he's created us for. And so we turned to verse 12 last week when we saw that uh, the grace of God, it teaches us. It teaches us to say no, to give a defiant, uh, renouncing no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to say yes, the best yes to living a self-controlled, upright, and godly life, that God's grace in Jesus not only saves us from sin, but saves us to and rescues us to a life that's lived in the way of Christ, self-controlled, upright, and godly. And that's not something that just happens in the future, it's something that happens today. It's in this present age. And in verse 13, uh, Paul adds to this proclamation of the grace of the gospel. And he says, we do this while we wait. Look at, I just want to read verses 11, 12, 13, and 14 before we zero in on verse 13. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It, the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to say no to those things that are apart or opposed to the heart of God, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. And that's described as the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, a people who are eager to do what is good. So the grace appears, it saves, it teaches in this present age while we wait. Where are the most common places that you wait? Uh, I made a short list. I thought of doctor's offices and, and medical facilities. Whether you're there for an annual checkup or you're there for a biopsy or to have your blood drawn or you're, or you're waiting maybe for a friend or a loved one in surgery, one of the most common places we wait is a medical facility. And even then, we're anticipating something, aren't we? That our name will be called, that we'll get to go back and see the person in recovery, we're waiting. Uh, some of you who are young parents, you wait in drop-off lines, and you maybe feel like you spend half your life waiting to drop off a child or to pick up a child. We wait for transportation. We wait for the bus to pick us up. We wait for the Uber to arrive. Uh, we wait at the airport for our plane or for someone to come off of the plane. 
Uh, even in our new age, uh, thank you, pandemic, we wait for food at our front door from DoorDash and Uber Eats. We wait. We wait for our tables at restaurants, and we wait for our waiter or waitress, and we wait for our food to arrive, and we wait for the check to come, and we wait to leave. We wait for birthdays. We wait for nine months to give way to contractions and water breaking and babies to be born. We wait. There's so much waiting in life. And waiting is a part of the experience of us as we follow God and and come to understand our place in his story. The the word for waiting in Titus uh, chapter 2 verse 13 is, is a unique word. Um, it does speak to this eager anticipation. It's, it's a positive word. I want to show you a few places where it occurs. If you uh, go to the Gospel of Luke with me, I'm going to show you four places just in Luke's Gospel where he uses this word. Uh, this idea of waiting, of eager anticipation, must have made an impression on Luke because of what I think are the seven or eight uses of the New Testament. Uh, Luke records at least five of them for us. He liked this word. In Luke chapter 2, verse 25, when Jesus is to be presented in Jerusalem, it tells us this. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. He was waiting. The consolation of Israel, we we explored this last year as we, we were in the Gospel of Luke, and it's this lofty statement that that all that was going to be for the people of God, when things would be made right and and their oppression would cease and and, and kind of the the balm of a healing God would rest upon them, Simeon was waiting for that. He was eagerly anticipating that. And then now in his presence is the Savior of the world. And just a few verses later, we see Jesus, his parents, And a prophet named Anna comes up to them. In verse 38, this is the description. Coming up to them at that very moment, she, Anna, gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. That phrase, looking forward, is the same word, waiting, eager anticipation that someone was coming to rescue and to fulfill. Uh, You could go to Luke chapter 12, verse 36. Jesus tells the story about uh, people who are waiting for him, and he uses the picture of servants waiting for a master. And here's his description, verse 36, chapter 12. Like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. This is a, this is a readiness. This is a, an eager anticipation that's not passive, but it's active. It's not idle. They're, 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 they're waiting. They can't wait for the master's return. Uh, Luke 23, Joseph of Arimathea, who provides a tomb for Jesus to be laid in. Verse 50 says, now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. He was eagerly anticipating the kingdom of God. And back to Paul's words to Titus, the grace of God teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait. While we eagerly anticipate, 
while we wait for what? He says the blessed hope, this, this deep, contenting, fulfilling hope. And he describes what that hope is for us. Look at his description in verse 13. This is the hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says that blessed hope is the appearing of the glory. That term glory, if you have studied scripture, oh, it's a lofty term. Uh, we don't have a word in our English language. I don't think any language has a word to adequately describe the glory of God. We, we give adjectives to it. It's bright. It's, it's blinding. Uh, but the glory of God is this, uh, this experience of his his, his, the weight of his greatness, his supreme greatness, his fullness, the, the absolute um, marveling presence of God. Our words just fall short. And, and we see in the Old Testament that the glory was kept of God was kept hovering between the cherubim and the Ark of the Covenant as a place that could not be accessed by people. It's inaccessible. We, we see that when Moses comes into contact with the glory of God, he has to be shielded from him, and even then the radiance of God's glory burns him and changes his countenance. We see a look into the glory of God when Jesus is transfigured before their eyes on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John, and, and it's blinding to them. We see Paul on the road to Damascus who comes in contact with the risen Christ, and the glory blinds him this full and completing greatness, presence of God is his glory. And Paul says, that's what we're waiting for. We're eagerly anticipating the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you look at verse 11, the word appeared occurs there. So the grace of God appeared uh, the grace of God has come. Uh, the grace of God is evident among us, both in the gift of Jesus and in Jesus himself. And now we wait for another appearing, the appearing of the fullness of God's glory in Jesus. We, in our human experience, live in the waiting. Between the appearances, God's grace has appeared in Jesus Christ it's, it offers us something now. It rescues us from sin. It rescues us to life with him where that grace teaches us. And yet there is something that will be that is not yet. Like there's something about who God is and the life that he provides while we experience it in part now. One day we'll experience in its full. We wait for the glory of God. When we think about the glory of God, it's the perfect presence of God. It's God in all of his wonder and majesty. The, the glory of God as it returns in Jesus, we see this picture in Revelation that it will transform everything on this earth. The wrong will go away and the right will stand firm. The sinful, sorrowful world will seize defeat and the new heaven and the new earth will come. And Revelation 21 gives us this powerful picture of what the glory of God will do on earth. The new heaven and new earth will descend and there'll be no more weeping or crying or pain or death. Part of the gospel of Jesus is yes, we're saved. We're rescued by his grace. He continues to transform us through his grace. 
But it's also the reality that what will be is not fully yet, and so we wait. But there's a confidence that comes from waiting. It's like what the child experiences at Christmas. They know their parent has purchased them gifts. They're there beneath the tree. They will be theirs in just two weeks. But they're not yet. But what helps that child maintain in the meantime, knowing that the fullness of that gift is coming? What helps us as followers of Jesus, saved by his grace, living for him in faith and and being transformed by him, hold out even when things in this world are not yet as they will be? It's, It's that blessed hope. It's the glory of God that will appear. There's evidence all around us that this world is not yet as it is intended to be. We experience it in death, death of people that we love, death of people that have loved us. Uh, If you're new to Lebanon Christian Church, one thing you probably don't know is that uh, we've been living in a season now of, of a lot of death. We, over the last three or four months, have seen several active members of Lebanon Christian Church who have died, some young, some old. And every one of those deaths, if we're honest, is a reminder that things are not yet as they will be. We're in the waiting. And oh, how we anticipate the day when death is no more. And oh, how we anticipate the day when, when, when hopefully we'll be reconnected with those who have gone but we wait. We experience waiting when it comes to our physical bodies when they don't function as we would want them to. When appendixes burst and spleens rupture and cancer grows and reproductive organs refuse to reproduce when multiple sclerosis and lupus and Lou Gehrig's afflict us, when disease affects the mind and the ones we love can no longer communicate with us. There's evidence all around that things are not yet as they were intended to be, and so we find ourselves caught in this in-between, this waiting Yes, God has saved us and he has rescued us. And yes, we are being made new and we hold out and we're, we're tempted in the waiting to, to turn from him. And he teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. He, he teaches us to say yes to, to living self-controlled, upright and godly lives. But yet we're looking out, we're looking ahead to that blessed hope because one day all things will be made new. And that's part of our experience. We experience the waiting and the trials of this world. We experience the waiting when we wake up after a night of storms and we see that even though the hail woke us up in the night and the wind blew over a tree, that there are people just a few hundred miles away whose whole towns are gone and dozens of people are dead. And we see that things are not yet as they were intended to be. What you probably feel in this moment are the feelings that have made Advent so special for so many for so long. 
See, so often in Advent, we focus on the first coming of Jesus. But what made Advent such a part of the rhythm of the church for so long was not just that Jesus came once, but it's that Jesus was coming again. The themes of Advent, in fact, love and peace and joy and hope and faith, they're the themes of Advent because they look forward to when those things come in their fullness and they're experienced in their fullness. Advent is a season of waiting. And I don't know what you're waiting through right now. I don't know what you're eagerly anticipating now. But the encouragement of Advent is to hold on and to look ahead because the one who is and was and forever will be, he will bring that to bear. He's good for it. Although it's not yet, it will be. The present under the tree may seem far, far, far in the distance, but it will be unwrapped and things will be made new. That's the power and the beauty of Advent. So what do we do while we wait? How do we lay hold of this eager anticipation even when we live in a world of death and disease and, and difficulty? The image that came to mind for me this week was of that well-prepared person in the doctor's office or the airport who knew they were going to wait. Let's just use the example of a parent. If the parent knows they have a child with them and they're going to be waiting for a long time, that parent or grandparent fills a bag up with all kinds of things to help in the waiting. In that bag, you'll probably find a book, something to read. Even if you don't have children, you'll probably bring a book or, or have something on your phone that you want to read. God, God gives us a book to read in the waiting. God gives us his word. He, he gives us something that in the waiting, we can be reminded of the truth of who he is and what he has done and what he'll do and, and how we can respond to that. He gives us the psalm book full of laments that help us in our hurting. He gives us the promise that, that he has overcome the grave, that even though in this world we have trouble, we can take heart because he's overcome the world. And, and that story is repeated throughout the scriptures and we can read and be reminded in the waiting. Something else that, that parent or guardian or you likely have as you wait is, is something to eat. Uh, you, you go through the diaper bag when, when Audrey and I were young parents and you could find fruit snacks and crackers and goldfish and Cheerios and cups with juice or milk, something to help in the waiting. God has given us some food to help in the waiting. Every week when we gather together as a church, whenever you gather together as a small group, you can do this. We can share in the Lord's Supper. We can eat a small piece of bread that reminds us that Jesus gave up his body for us to give us life. We can drink some juice that reminds us that he poured out his blood for us. And we come together and the church has been coming together for generations remembering what Jesus has done. And yet as Audrey read, we look ahead to the day when he'll eat it again with us. In, in the waiting, we can read his word. In the waiting, we can feast upon him and his purpose. Something else that helps the waiting are waiting with other people. I know for me, if I know I'm gonna be waiting for a long time, I'd rather wait with others because being with others makes time go by much faster. God did not intend for you and I to live this life in isolation. And when we are with others, it helps in the waiting. 
as we grieve to have other followers of Jesus who can come beside us and encourage us. I think of the words of the Hebrew writer who says, as long as it is called today, encourage one another. I think he more specifically says, encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. The same writer reminds us not to give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Listen, I know people are broken. I know people wounded you. People have wounded me. But I also know that without people, I can't make it. There's a lot of good that comes from having an online worship experience. If you're sick, if you're traveling, you can participate. But that's never a substitute. If you're watching online, it's never a substitute for being with people. For those of you that are involved in a life group, a small group of people, you know the beauty of community and how you encourage each other. And when when one of you starts to fall away, the other one reaches out their hand and they hold you in the waiting when we're suffering, when we're tempted, people can help us in the waiting. There is a hope. Jesus has started the work of making all things new. Another image that came to mind was of waiting in line at a theme park, but not just any theme park. I was thinking about waiting in line at Disney World. If you've ever waited in line at Disney World, you know that the experience of waiting in line at Disney is different than waiting in the line at like a Six Flags or a King's Island. The difference is is that Disney has done a great job of making the line, the queue, an immersive experience. And so although you're waiting, although you hear the thrill of the ride happening and you're not there yet, and it may even be 45 minutes or 90 minutes before you get there, you're wandering through something that reminds you that you're always getting closer. And the beauty of God's kingdom is that there are reminders, whether it be through his word or when the church gathers, through your study, through your prayer. Although what will be is not yet, he reminds you along the way, you're getting closer, you're getting closer, you're getting closer. Will you allow God to meet you in the waiting as you eagerly anticipate when all things are made new? something we can do as people who follow Jesus is help others experience that hope. Our, our vision statement as a church is, is this, that we want to be an outpost of hope for people who are looking for clarity of life's purpose, health in their relationships, and freedom from sin by helping them trust and follow Jesus. We who eagerly anticipate when things are made new We who are being formed, we who have been rescued, we can help other people experience the same blessed hope that we hold on to. Who will you share that with this Advent season? And if you've yet to taste it, will you have the courage to ask how you can experience the beauty and the hope of grace this Advent season? Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you give us something in our waiting. God, this week has been such a reminder that things are not yet as they will be. Men and women we love have breathed their last. God, help us to cling to you in the waiting. 
God, I know some in this room, either themselves or ones they love, have been diagnosed with an illness or a disease. And again, we say, meet us in our waiting. And God, as we, our hearts break for people whose lives have been turned upside down by storms, meet us in the waiting and meet them in the waiting. God, in all this, we thank you for your grace, your loving kindness that is enough to save and to redeem and sustain as we anticipate the day when all things are made new. We pray and we trust and we hope in you. Amen.